Hello, everyone, and welcome to Machine Learning, a pod about the machine from Pod Against the Machine, the only podcast with a live-streamed secondary podcast with a 27-word title. How many words is live-stream? Uh, I'm assuming it's two because there's, I think there's a hyphen, so it might be one word, but I'm assuming it's two. Yeah. Write in the chat and let us know your opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone call in. One word or two. Yeah, uh, we have someone in the chat named uh, Monkey Bears and Robots. If uh, that user might put <laughs> the in and say oh, that's hello. Just, that's Whatever just me. That, uh, <laughs> All resting on you. I know. That's the joke oh. I made. Yeah, that's the funny part. So. Uh, yeah, so this is our uh, first attempt at uh, trying. Why do I look so small in our thing? <laughs> I look so little. <laughs> This is our first attempt at doing a live <laughs> machine learning. Uh, so for the folks watching, uh, we are Pot Against the Machine. Uh, just in case you decided to tune into this, not having any idea who we are and what this is. Good uh, choice. We are Pot Against the Machine. <laughs> we are a... You're uh, in for a night. Pathfinder First Edition actual play podcast playing through the Iron Gods Adventure Path by Paizo Publishing. And uh, Machine Learning is our supplementary podcast where we talk about the stuff that happened in the actual show. And for this Machine Learning, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, what happened during our attempt to uh, take on the entirety of the uh, Smilers all at once, which uh, I think went swimmingly. I think we did a great job uh, rushing blindly into the Smilers headquarters. Uh, what does everybody else think? It went shockingly well. I mean, no one died. <laughs> That's uh, mm, a little lightning bolt humor <laughs> for the nice. lightning bolt fans out there. <laughs> I'm really surprised we didn't die. Spoilers. Um, yeah, <laughs> it would have been horrific to figure out what would have happened to our bodies if we, if we had to, probably. Yeah, no, I would say as far as, like, running a siege on a bunch of, like, drug cultists, that could have gone a lot more poorly, especially with the tactical retreat, which, you know, we are not wont to do. Have I think we've only retreated one other time against the Tentacle Rock, right? Yeah, I think that was the only other time we retreated, yeah. Yeah, we're just gently backing up. That was, I mean, retreated was the what the people that were standing were doing, at least. <laughs> Right, no, the the the, the conscious people <laughs> retreated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, by retreated we mean Jeff dragged the rest of our bodies out of there. <laughs> yeah. I think I was doing the dragging at that point. Yeah, Jeff was dragged. Oh, I'm pretty sure Jeff was unconscious. <laughs> well, Asher was unconscious. Oh yeah, the first that's right, the first attempt against <laughs> the rock. Yeah. Right. I was thinking you meant what that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and then when you came back, everybody just stood there while Jeff executed the rock. Pretty hostile <laughs> most of the time. I was really happy when you all took the back way in and thus lined yourselves up just beautifully in lightning bolt formation. I couldn't have really asked for anything better as, as a GM. You mean the uh, secret entrance that we had to pass? <laughs> I think it was like three different... Uh... 
talk <laughs> checks with the uh, bird punchers to learn about. You're telling me that was a trap? Yeah, it was. Um, it's really hard to find in the book if you don't already know about it. <laughs> well, it's easier to find from the inside, but the outside is very hard to find. And um, I don't think it, it's a very nice entrance <laughs> because it dumps you off right next to the boss. <laughs> but um, it worked out. Made for some fun episodes. Yeah, we do love to tuck ourselves into dangerous situations. The little I know about Pathfinders, it's 80% lining yourself up into a small, tight space yes. and letting people kind of mow you down. It is, in fact, how it works. Uh, I mean, pretty much, yeah. That yeah. does sum up Iron Gods, yeah. for sure, at the very least. I feel like this has been a very claustrophobic adventure path in terms of the maps we've been working with. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, five-foot hallways, the uh, adventure path. Well, they averaged it out because the arena was like a 300 foot sphere <laughs> so right. large and the the what's it called environment in book one the kasatha world that was also like a just mm, kept walking map so vast that it was yeah. in four pieces um but yeah so they average out all the sizes is what i'm going with yeah the giant life-size kasatha desert i do have to say though about that uh like secret passage it did live up to being a secret passage that took us directly to where we wanted to go like the fact that it basically opened into her bedroom for all kinds of purposes well, like it was more like her walk-in closet full of zombies <laughs> <laughs> but yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean one you know we kind of learned our lesson with bird food about the the Wookiee prisoner technique and its limits when you go through the front and just allow lots and lots of minions to accrue behind you. Um, but it also seems like we probably would have got a taste of that laser cannon if we had gone in the wrong way, right? Um, yeah, I, there was definitely a, a non-trivial chance that you would have taken some lasers to the face. One of us, at least. Yeah, one, one or more of you. As we saw in uh yeah as we saw in the arena fight uh that thing is not fun to be hit by so that was probably good plus it means it had more ammo left for us when we uh got it that's true in the eventual stealing of the laser rifle you did have a uh, quite a bit of ammo left <laughs> too much ammo if you ask me but that's spoilers <laughs> we're not covering that now so back to, yeah back then to the uh, marrow fight anything interesting uh, from a GM perspective that you have Sam about her or any of her various tech zombies or anything well her zombies are pretty run-of-the-mill uh, they have like the staggered only get one attack per or a move or an attack per round so they're basically at the level you guys are when you came in there they're just cannon fodder slash bodies to clog things up the rust risen are a little bit more fun they have like the drill attack or they paizo gives you options for what robot parts they have because they're basically cyborg zombies uh so they give you like a torch i think one of them had one of them had a drill and one of them had a saw so they're all kind of a little bit different in the special attack yeah. they have i mean marrow herself was the first real wizard you fought the first mm -hmm. real arcane caster and and she packed a punch yeah. basically <laughs> with the one level three spell yeah and i imagine like i know uh 
one of the backgrounds I took for my character, I picked one of the available story backgrounds, which is specifically about like being able to mess with arcane casters. So I assume the fact that that's like a story background that you can pick for this AP means we're probably going to be running into a lot more arcane casters. Otherwise, I feel like that wouldn't have been one of your choices you could make. I'm pretty sure Meryl was the only one in the whole AP. There's definitely not like a evil wizard society. They're not around. Filled with spell books. Definitely not an entire city (laughs) full of evil tech wizards or anything. Yeah, I will fight as many mages. I might regret this saying this later, but I'll fight as many mages as possible, given that I don't naturally accrue spells with level up at this point. So. Yeah. yeah, you get more magic by killing people and stealing their spells. Mm-hmm. Oh, as beautiful. a proper rogue turned wizard would do. <laughs> it's the Mega Man approach. So, what about uh, you two? Either of you guys, uh, Izzy or Zach, have anything you want to add to the conversation about, like, just how the marrow fight went, what all happened, uh, or even just anything about the aftermath of that fight, like, when we were kind of figuring out what to do with the Smiler headquarters and all that? I'm, I'm going to be honest, when you first mentioned that, I was like, marrow, marrow. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Creepy bald lady. <laughs> it just feels like so long ago now, and we, well, mostly, but yeah, there was a mild, like a very, very mini retreat. But aside from that, it was a pretty, pretty clean, pretty clean sweep. So uh, I just think that, you know, more villains shouldn't stand in our way, and then maybe Sam should take that to heart for the future. Okay, so like put them where you can't get them? Way up on a tall thing, or? I mean, I, I guess if that makes them feel safer, that's fine. But we have someone who can That's jump true. like a mm-hmm. billion. So maybe feet. I'll put them inside the floor. I was gonna say, how did being up somewhere tall? What's her face? I almost said Cassandra, but it's not Cassandra. I forgot her name already. Mianda. Yeah, I don't know that first name. This is this is the past, Jero. This is scrap wall. Yeah, this is the past. We don't know anybody named Cassandra. Not at uh, this point. I think that this, in in general, was kind of an interesting kind of arc inside the story because it, it really started with Algernon's grave, right? And like the Smilers and how kind of mm-hmm. scary the Smilers were. I think that that was a really aesthetically of the, you know, the folks that we interacted with, the gangs that we interacted with, the Smilers were the most iconic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're terrifying. Yeah. Like the lipless, drug addicted, mm-hmm. kind of death worshiping, whatever situation. Um, I thought the marrow. Oh, she she was a hobgoblin, right? That was her thing. Yeah, yeah. She was also. I remember her, she was like really pale and sickly and spooky looking and very like yeah. necromancer chic. Yeah, her <laughs> artwork kind of looked like a like a female version of like Nosferatu. Yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> kind of like that weird bald head and the pointed ears and the teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So I I mean I don't know. It was it was nice because that was. Uh, I mean, the clash with bird food was was fun, and but you know we had already kind of dealt with our our share of kind of normal flunkies. So this was the, the zombies and the everything else kind of gave it a nice flavor for me uh, that differentiated it from the Steelhawks and that sort of gang fight. Finding Whiskafis was fun too. He was a fun character. <laughs> I, I enjoyed him. I wish we got to hang out with him in Red Tooth more. I would say that I, I was satisfied by that battle. It was a really edge of the seat thing. So I remember I rolled a nat one on that my save for the lightning bolt. And for folks at home, I do have a level in rogue, but 
not two, so I don't have evasion. So it's not great. <laughs> Me failing a, a reflex save, it's it's not as likely for Bricks because he's a pretty high reflex character, but hurts just as bad as everyone else. And I remember that brought me down pretty far. I think that kind of precipitated our, our retreat, right? Or was that, that was, didn't we just immediately retreat after getting lightning bolted? Or did we get lightning bolted after we came back? Yeah, after getting hit with that like first yes. lightning bolt when we realized like yeah. we're crammed in here. Yeah, and another, the worst part of it, worse than the lightning bolt itself was everything cramming in. Like, if we had been able to get fully into her room, I feel like we probably wouldn't have run away even after the lightning bolt started. It was being stuck in the hallway with, like, six zombies between her and us that really made it so we had to kind of retreat and draw stuff out. <laughs> the fact that she was able to, or they were able to keep you bottled up in there mm-hmm. with just basically useless bodies, but it, it gave Meryl impunity to tear into you guys and i remember thinking brixby was gonna die when you rolled the the nat one because that was 66 and you all were level four and brix has got all but one level is a d6 (laughs) Um, yeah (laughs) i want to say everybody else passed um so they got half damage and it has been a long time so i don't really remember but it was still a big chunk i think we all passed yeah, everyone passed except for Brixby. I do remember this because it was the irony of the rogue not being able to do it. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I would agree that like there is multiple combats where positioning has really worked in Sam's favor or our favor. Then I mean, that's kind of standard in all Pathfinder, but especially in these like really tight kind of dungeons, mm-hmm. space dungeons that we're in so often. I can think of some very intense battles that have happened after the time that we're currently talking about, but most of you are probably caught up on where it has been literal life or death, the way that we've been positioned and the way that we are getting kind of spread Mm. out or, um, and yeah, especially when you've got a squishy necromancer, you want to put as many animated dead between you and them to try to get as much off because yeah, uh, yeah, we haven't really fought a lot of wizards as a party, so I don't think we really knew to, to focus heavily on the mage or to, to especially have like mm-hmm. Asher and Kira just kind of waste them in two rounds, um, which I, I would like to think that we're going to do with every other wizard moving forward. <laughs> right? Yeah. Provided you can get to them. Right, that's, yeah. that's the tricky part. <laughs> really got to get one of those far-reachy attacks. Or just Dimension Door. Yeah. Like, we just need Dimension Door to be able to bop around a little bit more. Mm-hmm. We're getting up there and st- some of those, like, more... I-, I consider that a battlefield control spell in its own right, just because yeah. of the ability to reposition everybody on your own. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get there. It's such a good one for that, too, because unlike other teleports, Dimension Door always feels to me like it's so broken for the level that you get it because it's basically like imagination based it's like if you can think of where you want to be you just go there as long as it's within the range it's not like teleport where you have to roll a chance and you have to have memorized the location and all that like it's like if you're within 200 feet or whatever it is and you can picture it in your head you're just there instantly exactly where you want to be and that's just so perfect i was thinking like gonna go for like a uh, it would be really helpful for commuting in the morning or going to disneyland but 200 feet is uh small yeah yeah i think you need 
teleport a greater teleport yeah. for that. For Disneyland specifically, they probably have like a... And an extra charge. Yeah, you need teleport plus <laughs> to get inside, actually. Yeah. No. Disneyland is the kind of place. They would absolutely shell out the money for, like, ninth level and just cast gate and just have somebody guarding it. <laughs> for people to teleport? They'll be the first theme park with that. Uh, Disney World. I do wish that um, Jeff was here for this discussion because one thing is when, when you all retreated the, from the first fight, Asher basically told everyone to get out of there and then pulled the pin on a grenade. I was just thinking I'm really glad Jeff isn't here for that exact reason. (laughs) Well, I want to ask him, did he intend to just stand there and let the grenade blow up on him? Or was that a rules mistake that he caught? I never asked him this. I feel like it was the second, especially re-listening to the episode when we were doing like our listening to make sure everything sounded good type thing. Because when he first pulls it out and and says, he's like, okay, I'm going to pull out this grenade and prime it as my action. And then when it came around to him again, he's like, well, it turns out that if you don't throw it on the rat, you, it explodes at the start of your next round. So sorry, Kira. And then just, I remember that specifically, the sorry yeah. Kira. Because <laughs> she was standing directly mm-mm, behind mm-mm. him. As teenagers do in faces of bombs. Yeah. Also, before we jump off topic, I wanted to really quickly touch on the, like, I don't know, reunion with Whiskey Fist. Because he... Pretty explicitly, I don't think we didn't say it, so I guess it's the opposite of explicit. Pretty implicitly recognizes Brixby, and we don't get any more information about that. Yep. Uh, because Brixby is an enigma. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That is true. So this is a great time that, to just... I don't know what you're talking fill about. Fill us in. It seemed mm-hmm. like a normal, non-truncated interaction. Yeah, and if I remember correctly... Uh, <laughs> well, now we have so much time. Brixby also recognized his name earlier than that when... Uh, Red Tooth. Meryl of Redwall. Uh, Red Tooth uh, told us that Whiskey Fist was the name of her lieutenant. I remember Brixby being like, oh, I recognize that. It is true. I mean... So, yeah, is there anything... Uh, really, when it comes to rat folk in northeastern Numeria, chances are they all went to Chitterhome. Chitterhome High, that is. <laughs> That's what I mean. That's uh, We were on the water polo team together. It was... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to bore you with the background, but that's that's really the only reason why they knew each other. From water polo. No. Are Yasoki, uh, like, is it, like, more kind of like other humanoids, or is it like rats, and, like, every six months there's, like, 20 more of them? Like, how crowded was this uh, high school? Yeah, well, no, it was, they, they had to do that thing where they brought the modular trailers in, um, <laughs> because they kept, they were going to develop the, the wing, but... You know, they just became permanent. So, and they just um, keep doing yeah, that. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, I, I actually, as a player of Yosoki, don't know, but I am going to make something up. And it is a Warren, so I'm going to assume, and they don't live super long, so I'm going to assume that it is very similar to, to rats that with... Um, sweet and tender rat. You're like actual rat life. So like, yeah, it's like every rat that I've had has lived in the like three to four year mark. Like large broods of kids a whole lot of times. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, Bricks had a brother. He's not an only, only rat child, but yeah, we touched on it a little bit in some of like uh, the Bricks intros. Like I always tried to paint my vision of uh, Chitterhome as not claustrophobic in a way that would be anxiety inducing but actually that would be comforting to to a creature that has no physical sense (laughs) of 
space <laughs> really at all. So kind of like a Matrix 2 Zion meets like, you know, just a red yeah. wall. So like somewhere in between that, lots of like, you know, there just isn't a whole lot of like public <laughs> bus level personal space bubble. So non-existent, really just rubbing mm-hmm. on each other. Like that walled city, but... Oh, Kowloon walled city. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Kowloon rat city. Yeah. That is exactly how it went. I think the way they live is is probably pretty alien to basically all of the rest of societies there, where it's it's very vertical and horizontal. Like, Chitterholm is just a maze of tunnels and interlocking corridors and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's very small. It's certainly not welcoming to, like, a six-foot-tall human or something, but it's just... How they have lived. And there's a communality to it, too, because it is a Warren. I mean, not everybody is related, but people do share. Um, and there is kind of a general sense of community amongst Yosoki inside their environments. But Chitterholm is pretty rare in terms of like rat folk settlements because there aren't a ton, at least stated in the Inner Sea World Guide. One of the other big ones is all the way in Tian Sha. Like that is where another kind of large concentration of rat folk Ooh, are. Wow, that is far. I mean, I'm sure, I I know there are little smatterings here and there, and I mean, of course, there are even other podcasts, uh, High Dimension Door, that have rat folk on them that come from other places. But uh, yeah, Chitterholm is one of the few, like, canonical giant rat folk cities. So I I just thought it was kind of good luck that, yeah, that's in Numeria, because I really wanted to play a rat folk in the first place. And it's also canonical that they all grew up watching Peaky Blinders, Mm -hmm. or is that a Zach choice? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely, I I also imagine a little bit of that, like, you know, every time they leave their house, like Nick Cave just starts playing and then like some guy is just pouring lava in the back and there's four forges, like every like Peaky Blinders sequence that's inexplicably filled with just like fire and smoke and the industrial revolution. So I, I bet there's a, there's a little element of that, probably not great air quality down there. I mean, this is great, though. I just had in my head, a, like, uh, like one of those, like, um, big white storage buckets full of rats. And I feel like now I've, it's been given some, from some depth. And I don't know that it makes it more inviting, necessarily, but character. It's more inviting for rats, though. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it is a bucket, but we all have suspenders and tiny little cabby hats. Which with, is adorable. With razor blades in them. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I would also imagine that in particular out of everybody that it would probably be the most weird to the Kellid because the Kellid kind of does almost the opposite. Like, I mean, still lives tribally, but travels, lives above yeah. ground, sleeps under the big sky, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, there is less of like... Mm-hmm. You don't just go, well, you're a Kellid, I'm a Kellid, we're cool, as evidenced by most of Vargas's <laughs> life, so... yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like the Kellid tribes, they do come together. Sometimes they come together, like when they choose a black sovereign and stuff like that. There, there will be alliances between them that sometimes last like a couple generations. Uh, it was really neat reading up a lot of the inner sea stuff when I was making Vargas's characters. I wanted to try to keep it as close to the actual like in-universe lore as I could. Like his tribe doesn't exist in any of the written things, and actually even his uh, homeland, it like it's. Been specifically like this random mountain in the middle of the plains it's because there aren't mountains in this part of numeria and that's actually kind of there's some interesting stuff about that with him but like you said like with the difference between the yasoki like especially his tribe they were never a very big one like there was maybe a couple hundred people at the most 
in like basically like a tent city way spread out where you had like individual families living in these like yurts and space in between them like the idea of everybody being crammed together into these like uh, complexes of the Warrens would be completely alien to that. Yeah, I mean, I just imagine Vargas doesn't sleep inside nearly as often as pretty much any of the rest of us do, or at least has. I don't know, maybe Asher. Mm. Asher's got that dusty trail. Yeah. Asher feels like he probably yeah, literal dusty sleeps trails. outside a lot. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny, like, if you just think about Vargas, Brixby, and Kira are all ostensibly from the same country but they're all from very different versions of it like Kira's from a town um and then Mm -hmm. Vargas is you know we discussed the Kellid sort of clan life up on a mountain um and then Brixby is from the aforementioned Chitterhome Mm -hmm. and Numeria is just a weird place because you have I mean you have like this frontier vibe you have the nomadic vibe which you know they often go together and then you have places like Chitterhome and Scrapwall which are basically out of a totally different genre and um you got other places that you know we might get to later that might be even different mm-hmm. who's to say who can say <laughs> and another thing with Vargas uh that probably I'm not sure has even been talked about really is it's been mentioned that he's been out of Numeria for like basically half his life like he was 26 when he left he's 52 now so and he spent a lot of that time in a port city in Osirian and so that's just another different environment he was basically like in sort of like a Cairo type area and that's another thing like just this huge modern for that time period city built on top of like old ruins is also something very different from a lot of the other stuff that other people here have lived through but not too different from the things that we're currently experiencing not too different at all and though actually it is uh coming up on eight o'clock so i think we should actually probably be wrapping up uh this first and even though that was a perfect segue from zach to get back into the uh actual recap but unfortunately uh we'll have to pick up on that segue another night hope everybody watching has enjoyed and thank you uh for stopping by and uh good night everybody But wait, there's more. Um, I had no idea that they had Tim Curry uh, for Slagar and uh, one of them. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Season two. Good get. I'm gonna have to look back and get these. I mean, Tim Curry is—he's—he's he's all over the place, but he is fantastic in everything that he touches. So, I can only imagine um, him lending himself to this. I was partial to the otters, uh, Winifred. Ah, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tim Curry is a special guest, and I think it may be the first episode of season two of Psych. And his character—he's basically a, an American Idol. Uh, judge equivalent and golly that is just one of the most funny rewatchable episodes because he is just like Simon Cowell type yeah, character. he's just all in yeah. it he was in an episode of uh, Criminal Minds mm-hmm. and he played 
basically like a character based on the Night Stalker. And it was so creepy. Uh, it was a two-part episode, too. I can definitely top creepy for this. Has anybody seen 1986's The Worst Witch? If you haven't, it is a witch yeah. school where there is a witch that isn't very good at witching. And the head witch is Tim Curry, and he sings this song, uh, which I am so sorry that the folks at home can't see it, but it's called Anything Can Happen on Halloween. I encourage you to look it up. It is an homage to like terrible 80s video art. It would be very appropriate for like a Tim and Eric sketch at this point, but there's a lot of like ribbon dancing and, and 3D jack-o'-lanterns. So um, I encourage you to look at this highly trained Shakespearean actor <laughs> that is possible Nadir or Zenith, depending on how you look at it. And then after that, go watch all of the cutscenes from, uh, was it Tiberian Sun? What are the Red Alert games? He played the uh, the uh, General Secretary of the Soviet Union. <laughs> and it is amazing. Every cutscene that he is in. But I think that uh, brings us to the end of this week's uh, Currycast. And <laughs> see everybody back for next. See you later, uh, Curry crew. We're going to get him on a Brian identity, I think, and uh, yeah. then I can just die happy. Oh. oh, my God. Is he on, uh, what's it called? Not Fiverr. What's that one called that... Uh, oh, Cameo. Cameo. Is he on Cameo? We need to see if Tim Curry is on Cameo. Could be a Patreon goal to uh, to get yeah. Tim Curry to contribute, even just a drop. Yeah, I think he's pretty much retired from doing any big stuff. But if we can just get him to like say, this is Tim Curry and you're watching Podcast Machine okay. or something. Wow. For $100, you can have a one-on-one with Tim Curry. It's not called Cameo. Oh it's called God. Fanmio. F-A-N-M-I-O. But starting at $100, reduced from $200, uh, you can meet the legendary Tim Curry in a personal one-on-one video meet and greet experience. Yep. It's wow. sold out. <laughs> they, have, they have a payment plan offered on here. <laughs> oh my god. Just imagining sitting down and doing the budget and being like, oh, $25 a month for the Tim Curry one-on-one thing. Oh, payment plan. I'm thinking you meant like recurring payment. <laughs> like, oh, no. like you can schedule like, he's like, oh, it's Thursday. I got to go talk to him. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Keep him on retainer. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, if it was, no, well, unfortunately, my therapist is cheaper and they meet for an hour. But if he ever reduces his prices enough that that is even vaguely competitive or he gets in network, I know what sort of mental health professional I'll seek out in the future. Just kind of obsessed with their Patreon goal being a once a month five-on-one with Tim Curry that everybody funds with all of us just, <laughs> just continuously <laughs> Say, so listen, if you give us enough money, we will just stalk this man, this poor, poor man. <laughs> yeah, we just, we just, Sam, it's just Sam and Tim Curry, and you just get him to try to say as many lines as possible that you could potentially use down the line. Just play off of a sound. No, we just get him to say enough vowel sounds that you can eventually build oh, a no. uh, Tim Curry, like Alexa text to speech thing. Tim, I just need you to be Hellion. <laughs> just real quick uh, maybe that is what Hellion is just Tim Curry all along I'd believe it Yeah, yeah it's just Tim Curry's character from Fern Gully <laughs> <laughs> 
don't think he's ever played the devil in a movie, surprisingly enough, besides like Pennywise. What about Legend? He, no, he was the devil in Legend. You're right, totally right. I think he was actually called like the King of Darkness or something like that. But remember, he had the horns that were I was like completely wrong. Yeah, no. Oh, I, he had the most extra yeah. like devil. Yeah, he had the ever. biggest horns of any movie devil I think I've ever seen. They were bigger than his neck. Yeah, that is. Uh... <laughs> I don't have anything else to say about this, unfortunately. Just Tim Curry related. (laughs) Just more to say about Tim Curry. (laughs) Everybody go watch Clue. Uh. And The Worst Witch. Serious. At least just the YouTube video. It's worth it. And the uh, 2001 Space Oddity parody with him and Leslie Nielsen. Thank you for your focused attention, everybody. All right. Thank you to our sponsor, Interdimensional Cable. Uh, It was nice to see what show we would possibly be hosting in an alternate universe. But back to this show that we're in now, we are now into the Q&A section. So, as some of you listening know and some of you listening might not know, we have a Discord. The links to it are available on our social media and on our site. If you go to that Discord... We have a machine learning Q&A channel where you can ask your questions and we will answer them for you during machine learning. So without further ado, let us get to our first question. This question comes from Monday. What is everyone's process of making a character? For example, do you make the backstory first and then pick corresponding classes, abilities, etc.? Or maybe just have a build in mind and make a backstory around said build. Let us start with Izzy. Well, I was really hoping to go last because I wanted to see what everyone else said, but I guess it's not like I have to leave immediately after I answer. So I hate giving a it depends answer, but it does indeed depend for something like Pathfinder, uh, specifically for this game, just because I was basically learning it, not even basically, it was learning as we played. I was like, I want something pretty straightforward. And that was very much, well, initially a barbarian and then a blood rager. Um, And after that, I was like, what is relatively unexpected in a strength-based class? And it was like, unicorns and stickers, probably. What else could that be but a 15-year-old girl? I have met 15-year-olds in my life, and uh, and I watch a lot of Euphoria. That's a lie. That show is terrifying. Uh, But I do know that glitter is a thing there and nowhere else, probably. All of that to say... In this particular instance, it was uh, building around a class. In most other games, specifically ones that I'm a little more comfortable in, I just have, it would be fun to do this. I'm going to build a character around the idea that someone is going to throw a fireball while singing karaoke. Because why would you not want to do that? And if you can have rules to do that, even better, probably? Even better, probably. Are we still doing the thing where I choose someone else now? Jeff, go. Ah, I'm that guy. It varies. It sometimes I'll come across a an archetype or a build or something that I think is really cool that would only work in a specific game. There was, for example, the Heroes of the High Court splat book. It's just full of all kinds of fun things that just scream War for the Crown uh, or something along those lines. And when I first saw the Silk Sworn Occultist, who can only keep his powers by wearing like super expensive jewelry and clothing. I thought, oh man, if I ever play that AP, I'm going to totally build a Silksworn Occultist. And then it kind of sparked from there when I did in a short-lived 
play by post. Other times, I'll think of what a party role is needed in a group and go think of what would be a fun setting appropriate or not build for, oh, we need a ranged DPS. So I'll think of what would be fun for that or what's something that I haven't played or played in a while. <laughs> I'm just, I am not a, someone who's played everything. There's still classes I haven't played. So I may attempt to square peg round hole things on occasion just because I want to play a class. But usually I start in one way and work from there. Hmm. Good answer, Jura. I'm going to have to be the third person to say it depends. Like for Vargas, I had a specific idea in mind that I originally was going to do a much harder way to do it that he would almost certainly be dead by now. But honestly, the idea I had for him that just hit me and I'm like, oh, this would be cool. And Pathfinder, I'm sure, has a way to do it. And it turns out they had two, which was having a character that basically had suffered some sort of debilitating injury and then used the abilities available in the game to compensate for it, which my original idea for him was to have a brawler with the archetype Constructed Pugilist. And I was going to have actually both his arm and leg missing, and then later on a multi-class into Jiskin Artificer to replace the other limb. Uh, but that would have been horrible, and luckily the uh, GM talked me out of that horrible idea. <laughs> Uh, but other times I'll have a class in mind that I want to play and I'll attempt to build a character around it. Uh, but I feel like more often than not, I'll have like one single idea and then I'll look and try and figure out which class and which background and everything works the best with that idea. Uh, how about Sam? Well, usually I, I start with like a person, like a personality, not a backstory, but like vaguely like... I want this person to be like all piratey and um, whatever. And then like I don't even have a race or a build, but then I'll go like, oh, maybe they'll be an archer and I'll build an archer and then I'll go, no, that's not right. And then I build a sorcerer and then I'm like, nope, still not right. And then like 30 builds later, I've got a very in-depth backstory and I have 12 character sheets, none of which I'm totally happy with. And then all of a sudden I find the thing to have and I've wasted a lot of the day <laughs> you say wasted as though this is a negative thing I think it's a the process itself is as rewarding as the result oh yeah it's a lot of fun and then I never play the character that's that also is a key part of the process is that just goes in a path builder folder and slowly scrolls off screen as I do it again <laughs> yeah no absolutely yeah fun story about that there was a character that I built that I loved for a campaign that was going to start right before COVID hit, so ended up falling apart. Uh, but it was a Jassalt character, and I was so ticked out not being able to play him that he is now in Vargas's backstory <laughs> as a character that exists within our Iron Gods game. Yeah, man. Build that world. Uh, I will say, Monday and listeners, as an alternative... It can be a fun exercise to have a random race and class rolled 
uh, on a table like the uh, the resurrection table for instance because then you get some really fun things like okay now I have a troglodyte inquisitor uh, so I'm gonna come up with a backstory for that maybe not for you know a recorded medium or a long-term AP or do it you know just live your best life but especially if there's sort of analysis paralysis or something it could give uh, it could jumpstart some fun creative processes yeah sometimes you gotta be a lizard boy who stink real good you know <laughs> he's so good at stinking rest in peace he'll come back mom. someday <laughs> Am I no audio for me? No? <laughs> yeah. I can't hear Sam. Huh. No, I don't. Oh, I see muted audio. by me? I also How did can. I do that? Yeah, I hear you, Sam. I'm so sorry, too. Sam. Oh, you don't hear Sam? I hear I was Sam. Just, I thought you would. Okay, I this see is how why I is. asked earlier when I was like, "Are we muted in Discord or not?" Because I was like, "Sam's really just committed to this muted thing." And God, well, okay, yeah, seriously, wow, yeah. Uh, see we have a, really glad we're live streaming all the microaggressions of this workplace just out to everybody. That's um... so another inconsistent person am I? Who words good? Because I still think of video game brain have uh sometimes you know this this is all gold keep it in 